What's going on, Victory Church? Let me hear you! Oh, it's about to go down. Are you guys excited for after movies? Come on, let me hear you. Okay, cool. Well, my name's Scout. Um, I play the drums. I go full animal on, on the drums sometimes, play the piano. But this morning, I've been given the privilege of breathing you guys the word. Real quick, I just want to give honor to Pastor Troy and Darla. Can we give it up for Pastor Troy and Darla one more time? Our fearless leaders. Well, let's see. It was about 12 years ago that I stepped in his youth group. I was wearing really baggy black trip pants with skulls and chains all over them. I was wearing a black trench coat and long hair. I may or may not have looked like a serial killer, but the point is when I walked in front in, in his youth group, he loved me, he cared for me, and here we go. 12 years later, we're still running together. So they are amazing people. Pastor Troy and Darla, if you guys are watching, love you guys. Can we give it up one more time for our fearless leaders? All right. Okay, that's good. They're not that great. Come on. We're good. Well, I just want to get straight in the word. Can we get, is it cool if we just get straight in this morning? Can we just jump right in? You guys ready for the word? If you have your Bible or your phone or whatever, swipe on over to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go to verse 10, and then we are going to stop right there. This is a, a very familiar story if you've spent any time at church or read through the Bible. It's the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Story of Zacchaeus, and more importantly, his encounter with Jesus. Uh, just to give you a quick little bit of background, so we can understand who we're talking about here, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So, much like today, tax collectors back then especially were genuinely hated. They were notorious for having bad reputations because they would steal more than legally required from the people in order to make themselves rich. So now you've got the children of Israel who are already under the oppressive government of Rome, and now you throw in these tax collectors who are breaking their backs financially. So yes, they were hated. And not just that, but Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, so he was the head honcho. So yeah, everyone knew about Zacchaeus. But this is the story of his encounter with Jesus. So starting with, with verse 1, here we go. Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Ha! So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Here we go. When, Je when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love how Jesus completely invites himself. That is hilarious. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. But listen, the people were displeased. He is gone to be in the guest of a notorious sinner. Ugh, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. This is my favorite part right here. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, and this is my favorite. If you're looking for a scriptural tattoo to get, this is the one right here. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay. Well, the title of my sermon this morning, guys, is The Burden of Loving People. The burden of loving people, because loving people is pretty burdensome sometimes, right? Being kind to people, going out of your way to deal with people, it's burdensome. That's just, that's just how life is. In fact, 
Life is full of burdens. It's full of adversities. If I could say it like this, life is full of inconveniences. Whether you're a student, you're in school, school's inconvenient. Or uh, if you're single, you know, sometimes being single can be inconvenient. Or if you're, if you're in a relationship, or if you're married, marriage can be inconvenient. Not me and you, honey, We're, everything's great. Um, being a parent, can I get amen from the parents? Come on, being a parent sometimes can be inconvenient. Sometimes, especially like for, I know like us, there's a lot of new parents in here. Um, uh, my son was born in May of this year, so about five months old. And the one thing I find the most inconvenient is how little sleep you realize you can survive on as a human being. It's insane. What about getting older? Getting older is inconvenient. I'm about to be 29 this month. I know that doesn't sound old, but I feel old. Uh, I'm genuinely appalled at how much noise my body makes when I go to stand up. There's too many cracks and pops. It's like there's a percussion section in my legs and hips, right? And not just that, but I, I, I came to this revelation that the older you get, the louder you grunt when you go to stand up, right? When you're a teenager, you're just like, all right, here we go. But as, as 29, I'm like, okay, all right, here we go. Like I'm winded somehow from standing up, right? Getting older is inconvenient, and that's, that's just life. And it actually goes further that not only is life inconvenient, but even the best parts of life are inconvenient. You take the best, the best memory you can think of, and I'm sure if you think far back enough, you could find a moment that was inconvenient strewed about that memory. I'll give you an, I'll give you an example from my personal life. Like I said, I, I'm a father now. I love being a father. When I first held, uh, when I when I first got married to Amber, I said, "Babe, I love you so much. I love you more than breath. I would literally take a bullet for you." When I held my son for the first time, I looked at my wife and said, I would literally use you as a human shield to protect my son. Because I'm not getting shot. Why do I get to get shot? No. And as much as I love being a parent, sorry, babe, as much as I love being a parent, it's inconvenient sometimes. I talked about the sleep deprivation, but let's talk about the journey of getting him here. I'll never forget. This was... Uh, a while ago, it was during my wife's third trimester. For those of you who don't know, that's the scary trimester. Okay, that's the, scary, that's the trimester where you might get chopped in the throat if you say something mildly off. Or, you know, they're angry at you for breathing too loud. Like, can you breathe quieter? Your heart beats so loud. God, I'm trying to sleep, right? That's the... <laughs> But it was her third trimester. We were in the drive-thru line, and I, I was like, you know what? I'm a, the most amazing husband ever. I'm going to go. My wife's having cravings. Let's go to Whataburger. It just opened up right next to my house. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I go to the speaker box, and you know how it is. They're either too low or too loud, like, you know, the people in the speaker. So in this particular occasion, the lady is yelling at me like, like Chewbacca from Star Wars, and my wife's trying to give me her order, and I, I, I mess it up. Mess it up by one little thing. I get medium fries instead of large fries. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, that's it? Is that really? Is that surely she didn't get mad about that? <laughs> and you would be mistaken. I, this is honest to God, true story. I look to my wife and I'm about to say, babe, I'm so excited for this food. This is going to be amazing. And before the words can even leave my lips, my wife's full on crying. Tears are streaming from her face. And this is what she says to me. She goes... It's like you don't listen to me. It's like you can't hear me. It's like you don't care about me. And I'm like, 
Ladies, if you want to know how upset your man is, watch this, this. Depending on how far he pushes his eyeballs to the back of his skull, that's how you know, right? All the men are like, yeah, no, that's it. Um, and I, I, of course, my thought is that escalated really quickly, okay? We went from I don't listen to I don't care, I don't care about you at all in like five seconds. And, and that's what I mean. Like even the best parts of life are full of inconveniences. And I want to take it a step further this morning that not only is life inconvenient, and not only are the best moments in life sometimes inconvenient, but even our Christian life can be inconvenient sometimes. I don't think it's blasphemous to say that Christianity can be inconvenient sometimes. If you don't agree with me, let's turn to scripture. What about the verse that says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, don't get angry, but instead turn and offer your other cheek. Uh, I immediately have a problem with that verse. Perhaps it's because I'm from Memphis, but there's no turning of the cheek where I come from. The only turning we do is the turning of the gun for the kill shot. Like there's no turning of the cheek where I'm from. What about that verse that says, you know, if somebody wrongs you, don't forgive them once, don't forgive them seven times, but I say unto you, forgive them 70 times 70. I was homeschooled. I'm not good at math, but that's what, that's like 490 times. I can barely forgive someone I don't even know that cuts me off on the interstate one time. And you tell me I got to forgive them 490 times. Like, you know, you've got the idea of tithing. You've got the, you know, being patient. The mouth is the, the, the way to death and, and watch how you speak to people and don't vent to your anger. Like all these verses, these scriptures that if we're being honest, they're inconvenient to our life sometimes. And, and I've came to this conclusion. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. Longest segue ever, I know. That I believe one of the most inconvenient parts of Christianity, ready for this? Dealing with other people. Because people are going to people. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, God has called us to engage with people the most. But I mean, have you met people? Have you looked at the news for like five seconds? People are crazy. They're out of their minds, and yet it's people that God has called us to engage with the most. So, with that being said, in order to effectively love people and minister to people the way God has called us to, there are just a few things this morning that I think we need to get cleared up, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe we can walk away seeing people differently. Are you guys ready? Okay. Well, I got three points, and I'll get you guys out of here. Point number one. In order to effectively love the world and ultimately win them to Jesus, we got to see our purpose clearly. We've got to see our purpose clearly. I've been doing ministry for about 10 years, roughly. Not that long. But the one question I hear asked the most frequently, especially in new believers, they ask, what is my purpose now that I'm saved? What do I do now? What's next? Maybe they'll use language like this. What is God's will for my life? What's my, my calling? Or maybe they'll say, what is my ultimate destiny upon this planet that I reside on called Earth? Okay, nobody talks like that, but you get what I'm saying. Everyone's looking for their purpose. And at the forefront of this first point, I want to tell you that Jesus does not hide the answer to that question. You don't have to spend your life searching for what your purpose is. In fact, he makes it clear. You ready for this? I, our purpose is people. Amen? Our purpose as Christians is 
people. In fact, Jesus exemplifies this in the story we just read about in Zacchaeus. You take Jesus, okay? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his busy schedule, because he's a busy dude, right? I mean, he's raising the dead, healing the sick, turning water into wine, walking on water, rebuking Pharisees, teaching parables. He's a busy man. And yet, in the midst of his busy schedule, he he takes time out of his ministry, takes time out of his schedule to go minister to one person who, if we're being honest, in the, in the grand scheme of the gospel, in the grand scheme of the story of Jesus, Zacchaeus is kind of a random, insignificant character. But yet Jesus did not see him as insignificant. He saw him as an opportunity to share the love of God. Because watch this. Jesus understood that his purpose as the son of God was not to serve himself, but to serve other people. Yeah? And as children of God, as Christians, our purpose is the same. It's to serve other people. People, if I was going to wrap this first point up in a bow, I'd give you 2 Corinthians 5.18. Watch this. This is so powerful. It says, but all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him. And this is my favorite part. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody say the ministry of reconciliation. So beautiful. So that by our example, we might bring others to him. You might say it like this. Full-time ministry is not you working at a church and getting paid by the church. When your feet hit the floor when you first wake up, you are in full-time ministry. Whether you're at the gas station or the grocery store or at your friend's house or at work or with your family, you're in full-time ministry. And our purpose is reconciling people back to the Father. Amen? Are we on the same page? So number one, we got to see our purpose clearly. That's the why. But this next point is, it's a little more difficult because we understand the why, why we exist. Our purpose is people. We got to see our purpose clearly. I get that. But now how do we effectively execute that purpose? Number one, we got to see our purpose clearly. Number two, we have to see people clearly. We've got to see people clearly. Go back to the story for a second. In your mind, just imagine that you're Zacchaeus, okay? Put yourself in his shoes. You're, you're Zacchaeus, right? You're short. I can't relate. Chris can relate here. <laughs> and, 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 and you hear Jesus is coming to town, but you're surrounded by people who, if we're being honest, they hate you. They hate your guts because you probably stole from like 90% of them. And you go to see Jesus. You climb a tree. He sees you. You see him. You guys are locking eyes. And he says, I'm coming to your house. Let's do dinner. And this is what is so interesting about this point, church. There's not a whole lot of dialogue really after that between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but yet in the middle of nowhere, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give everything I stole back. And I'm, he basically 180s his entire life. And I guess my question this morning, if you've never thought about this is, what exactly happened that caused Zacchaeus to change so drastically? Can I sow one thought into you this morning? Just one? Okay, cool. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's dead silent. It's okay. 
Well, I've been, see, like I said, I've been going to church literally since I can remember. I think I was actually born in the church during the sermon. It was crazy. Okay, no, that didn't really happen. But I've been going to church since I can remember. And uh, there were a lot of, like, sayings and phrases and, like, one-liners they would say, especially, like, in the early 2000s. And here's one I remember very, very vividly I want to share with you. And tell me if you've ever heard them. This is what they would say. Jesus says we ought to love the sinner and hate the sin. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, we as Christians, by golly, we need to love the sinner and hate the sin. I got to tell you something this morning. I don't, I don't fully agree with that as much anymore. And let me explain why real quick. Because Jesus Christ never said, love the sinner, hate the sin. But he did say, love your neighbor. Over here, we're calling them sinners. But Jesus says they're our neighbor. Yeah? You catch that? See, I, I'm convinced, church, that we will, neverly effect, we will never effectively win the world to Jesus if we are still viewing them as sinners rather than seeing them as our neighbor. We'll, neverly, we'll never effectively love the world the way Christ has called us to if we're still identifying people based off their struggle instead of identifying people that they're broken human beings. Go back to the story for a second. Jesus and Zacchaeus are having dinner, right? And then what I find interesting, at no point does Jesus start preaching to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you better get it right before Almighty God if you want to see the Lord in heaven. Hallelujah. That's how he preached for some reason. I don't know. But he never preaches to him. He never gives him a 12-step program on how to change your life for the better. He never prays, you know, a deliverance prayer over anything like that. He simply sits down and has dinner with this sinner, treats him like a normal person. And by the end of it, Zacchaeus gives everything he stole back and completely changes his life. Why? Why? Because someone was willing to see Zacchaeus as a neighbor, not as a sinner. Two observations I want to make real quick. Jesus never withheld his love from people out of fear of what it would do to his reputation. And if we are going to win the world to Jesus, we have to do away with the fear of our reputation based off who we hang out with. Observation number two, Jesus never recoiled at people's sin and brokenness. He was always moving towards it. And listen, to the degree that we recoil from people's sin is to the degree that we're not like Jesus. I'm not trying to be controversial or, or shocking or anything like that. I'm just saying, can we look inside and ask ourselves, do we really see people right? Or are we secretly still looking at people at, based off their struggle? Do we see sinners or do we see our neighbor? Because listen, I know we would invite that person to church, and we should. Please invite them to next week. Pastor Troy will be preaching. It'll be way less of a dumpster fire than this sermon is right now, but you know, here we are. And I know we would invite them to church, but they are, are they also invited to our dinner table? Would we also do life with them? 
I know that person who struggles with that thing that we don't necessarily agree with because it's taboo in our culture today. I know that we would invite them to our small group, and we should. But before we try to pastor them, would we first be willing to befriend them? And before we start preaching to them, would we first be willing to listen to them and let them know that they're valued and let them know that they're heard and that they aren't what they struggle with, but they're still chosen by God just as much as we were before we were saved, right? Listen, that that person, whoever they are, They might have a different belief system as you. They may have a different background than you. They may even have a different skin color as you. And I know that we would invite them to the front to get prayed over, but my question is, would we be willing to answer a phone call at 3 in the morning when no one else, they have no one else to turn to? Because this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to love people. We have to stop seeing them as sinners, and we have to see them as our neighbor. Amen? Are you guys with me? I didn't tell this story in the first service, but you guys are lucky. You're going to hear me tell this story. I'm going off script for a second. Um, When I moved up here about like six or seven years ago, I, I struggled really hard with addiction. And I mean like really hard. Like it was bad. Like you, you know how bad it was? When I was doing drugs, my drug addict friends were like, hey man, you should slow down. Do you know how bad of a drug problem you have to have when your friends who just did a line like, hey, by the way, you should, uh, you should slow down for a second. That's where I was. I was so broken and lost in my addiction. And um, I had a conversation at one point with Pastor Troy at his house and I told him, I don't want to do church anymore. I'm done serving. I'm done coming here. And I'm done with everything. And and I left him high and dry. They they had to scramble to find another drummer. And I left them. And it it broke his heart. It did. And um, 2019, December, I ended up overdosing and got my life together real quick. Yeah, an overdose will wake you up really fast. I was like, huh, maybe I should probably quit doing drugs. But I remember the first person I texted was Pastor Troy. He was the first person I texted. And listen, he didn't meet me with, are you kidding me? You want to come back to church? Maybe if you get your life together, you drug addict. He didn't do anything like that. He met me with love, and he asked me to come have lunch with him, and we worked it out together, and he, he spoke life into me. And I want to say this. I'm going to try not to cry when I say this. Jesus Christ has never been more exemplified to me personally than in that moment right there. And it wasn't because he's an excellent communicator, and it wasn't because he spoke this deep revelation. It's because someone was willing to see past my struggle and see that there was a neighbor in there, that there was a broken human being in there. This is what it means to be Christian. Amen? Are you guys with me? So number one, we've got to see our purpose clearly. Number two, we've got to see people Clearly. And number three, my final point, we've got to see the promise clearly. I'll explain what I meant by the promise in a second, but I want to tell you the truth, guys. When you start going out of your way to love people and you start doing this thing like for real, for real, it's, you're essentially coming alongside someone's life and helping them carry the baggage of their life. 
and it gets heavy. It is emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, sometimes financially exhausting to love people sometimes. And not only that, but when you start walking in your purpose, the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you. The last thing Satan wants is a bunch of Christians to get a revelation of what their purpose is and start walking in it. And he doesn't fight fair. But I want to tell you this. As high as the price is for loving people, I want to tell you the reward far outweighs that price. I would tell you a quick story, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. So... I'm going to grab this stool right here. I'm going to sit down for a second. Here's a little pastor trick. Uh, every time you see Pastor Troy grab the stool, he's about to tell a really sad story, so get ready to cry. But I'm good. We're good. I won't tell you a story. I don't know why I'm doing this right now. Sorry. <laughs> so me and my sister, we've always been really, really close. Uh, we did everything together growing up. We, we hung out the same people. We went to the same school. We had the same hobbies. We even went to, to college together. We both did two years of ministry school. And during that time, we actually met a guy named Robert. Robert. They, they, they eventually fell in love, and they got married, and he became my brother-in-law. And I want to tell you, me and my brother, my blood brother, we don't get along very well, so I always felt like I didn't have a brother. But for the first time in my life, it felt like I really had a brother. And it was amazing. And we were so, so close. Well, in the spirit of full transparency, I know I already told you that I had a drug addiction when I first moved up here, but I, I don't like to tell this part of the story because it's, it's, it hurts. But I introduced that lifestyle to Sonny and Rob when I first moved up here. I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. And like I said, in 2019, I, I got my life right back and I got clean. I've been clean now for four years. Can you guys believe that? Thank you. It's Jesus. Can I, can I stop for a second? Jesus will change you. If you're struggling with addiction, I, I'm here to tell you as a living testimony that Jesus will set you free. But anyway, don't you get me started now. They went down the same path, but unfortunately the story doesn't stop there. They continued on addiction while I got clean. And unfortunately, they took their hands off Christianity altogether. I don't really know. I don't think they believed in anything. And it broke my heart because I wanted them to experience the same transforming power that I did. But I didn't feel qualified to tell them about Jesus and to tell them they need to get their life together. Because I had just been the same road that they were on. So I did the only thing I could do. And that was to pray. To pray for them. Every day, every day, church, on my way to work, on my way home from work, before I went to bed, we'd, I'd hold my wife's hand, we'd pray for her, we'd pray for her every single day. And then one day, I'll never forget this, we were on the phone and her and Rob were having like marriage issues, kind of, they were just having some troubles, and so she asked me like for advice. I wasn't married at the time, so my advice was probably terrible, it was probably like, you know, I don't think you should just get over it, I don't know. Yeah, don't ever ask someone who's not married for marriage advice. But anyway, we were talking, and in the middle of nowhere, I, I can't believe I missed this. I swear this is exactly how it happened. We were talking, I looked up, and I saw this giant rainbow stretched across our neighborhood. And I remember 
remember as soon as I saw that, I felt the Lord speak to my heart. He said, Scout, I'm going to bring Sonny back, but I need you to believe for her. Because she wasn't in a position to believe for herself, so I had to be the one to believe for her. And look, guys, you know how it is. When you hear from God, when you get revelation, you're just like, yeah! It's like you're on cloud nine. Like nothing could tear you down. I was telling everybody, I told Pastor Troy, the worship team, some random dude on the street. I don't I was telling everybody. I was so excited because I heard from God. And listen, God had handed me this promise. And what was the third point, right? We have to see the promise clearly. And I held on to that thing and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe for this, even if no one else does, because I know I heard from God. And I'm never going to waver in my faith. So 2020 rolls around. You guys remember 2020? That mild inconvenience to the entire planet? I believe it was July the 19th of 2020. I, I drove up to Memphis and I, I, had, I, I left Amber behind because I was buying a ring. So I got a ring. I brought it over to Sonny and Rob's house. I showed Rob. And I remember some of the last bits of things I said to him. I said, man, I'm so excited to get married. Ah, you're going to be my best man. This is going to be amazing. And then the last thing I said to him before I left to go back home, I said, man, I'm so glad you and Sonny decided to work things out because they had decided to stay together, right? And I'm so glad you decided to work things out. I was afraid I was going to lose you. And that was the last thing I said. I left, went back home, worked the next morning, came home, everything was normal. So that night, it was around 8 or 9 o'clock, I get a phone call. And it was my mom, and she was frantic, of course. And I answered the phone, and I said, hello, what's going on? And this is exactly how the conversation went. I said, is everything okay? And my mom said, no, Scout, everything's not okay. And she said, Rob took his own life today. He, he killed himself and he's gone. And in one phone call, this promise that God had given me turned into an impossibility. I'm going to move this out of the way. I would like to stand here and, and, and tell you that I never wavered in my favor for, favor for a moment, bless God. I never wavered in my faith. But the truth is, I could barely even bring myself to pray for the longest time. Because last time I believed God, my brother takes his own life. What's going to happen if I believe again? And I don't, listen, I, I apologize. I don't mean to be graphic. My sister found him. If you think she didn't believe before, well, she certainly didn't believe now. I learned something. Woo. I learned something really powerful. That the primary enemy of the promise of God is disappointment. You ever been really disappointed? I mean really disappointed. Like you believed that God was going to do something. And then disappointment comes and boom, knocks you over. And you're left with the shattered pieces of your life. And you think, how could this promise happen now? 
several months go by and, and I ask my sister, you know, I'm just trying to believe, even if my prayers sound like this, God, I think I believe. Can you help me with my disbelief? You ever been there where you don't even know if you believe anymore? And so I go out of my way, I ask Sonny, Sonny, what do you believe in these days? What, is, what do you believe? And she goes, oh, I'm a practicing witch now. Bruh, even further away from the promise. Why is it that every step of faith I take, disappointment pushes me back three more? And this went on for two years. I don't know, I'm sorry. I feel like someone in this room has, is struggling with disappointment. And you're struggling to believe again. So, a few months go by, several months. My sister comes over. We were on the back deck. We were talking, and then she, she looks at me, and she says, I went to church the other day. I don't, I don't believe in God or anything like that, but it's weird. I, I felt this pull on the inside of me. And I don't know what that is, but I, I think I like it. And I'm just like, ooh, baby. Oh, baby. So I keep praying every single day, every single night. I'm like, God, I know you can do this. I don't know if I fully believe, but I'm going to stand in this belief anyway. A few months go by. She comes back to me. She says, you know, it's interesting. I went to church. I've been going to church every week. I don't believe in Jesus or anything like that. But every time I go, I feel this peace wash over me. And I can't explain. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to keep going. And so I'm praying, and I'm praying. And then a few months go by, she comes to Victory Church. Come on. She comes to Victory Church. We've got the new building. And then after service, I remember I came up to her. She had tears in her eyes. She said, Scout, I want to give my life to Jesus, but I, I don't think that I can because I've done so much wrong. I don't feel like I'm worthy. And I just remember I said, come as you are. And I'll never forget, a few months later, two years of believing, of getting beat down by disappointment, Pastor Troy gives a, a call for salvation, and then that, that hand goes up, and she gives her life to Jesus. Fast forward to today, she's married to a man of God. She, she moved from Memphis to Murfreesboro. She, she serves every week in V-Kids. And most importantly, she's given her life back to Jesus. Somebody give God praise in this house. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. My, my charge to you this morning is clear. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't ring the bell. You might be the one person standing in the gap between someone and their destruction. God has given you a promise. And now is not the time to give up. Don't give up, church. 
We have an insane opportunity next week uh, with, with At The Movies. Get that person here. Whatever it takes, you get them here. You don't stop believing. You keep praying for that person because what if? What if? Ben, you guys can, yeah, come up. You're already here. I saw this, I'm sorry, I don't mean to go over my time. I, I saw this video of the, the craziest football plays, and I saw these two teams, I don't know who they were, but it was the last few minutes, and this guy, he, he had the football, and he ran, he ran, he ran, and he got all the way to the touchdown, he dropped the ball, and he was just celebrating, he's like, yeah, this is amazing, this is amazing, we won, and it looked like they won. He dropped the ball right before stepping over the finish line. Someone came up, scooped it up, and they ended up winning, all because they dropped it right before the finish line. I'm telling you this morning, church, do not let go of that promise. You never know how close you are to stepping over into the end zone. Right there, I just want you to close your eyes. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. You are the way maker. You are a miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. You're the light in the darkness, God. That is who you are. There's two people in here this morning. If you're in here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm speaking to you from personal experience. I've been an unbeliever and I've been a believer and I choose a believer every single time. He will transform you. He will change you. He will will change your life. And all you have to do according to scripture is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and he will save you. The other person is someone who who is believing for something, but life happens, disappointment happens, and it causes you to want to give up. My charge to you is don't give up. Don't give up. Thank you, Jesus.